0: On this episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we're going to continue our discussion on the family from the Christian perspective. This originally started out as a series on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, and I introduced you to a family whose life had been turned upside down by the ramifications of spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse as it matured into something more sinister. Where a pastor, who's also a missionary, who was not their pastor, came with his wife to their home in the early morning to basically help their newly turned 18-year-old daughter out of that home and into a different home so that she could continue a relationship with an older man who was related to the pastor, who had gotten to know her in a position of spiritual leadership. And so on that podcast, I talked about one of the ways in which spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse is allowed to mature is in places where education and knowledge are prohibited, where understanding about topics like abuse are minimized so that people are not educated on topics like the family, so that they really don't have any defense against this type of abuse. And as we started talking about the family from the Christian perspective, we talked about one of the ways in which people develop a theology of the family is by diving into scripture and taking proof texts in order to develop what they believe the family should look like, when really all they're doing is taking scripture that connects with what they already believe and using it to prove what they already believe. So today we're going to continue our discussion on developing a theology of the family. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. Welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. So we've been talking about the family from the Christian perspective, and we've been talking about this because of the previous podcast series on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. We have seen recently that these two things are rampant within evangelical Christianity. I've been reading a really good book called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse by David Johnson and Jeff Van Vonderen. And this book was written in the 90s. Actually, it was published in 1991. And it's just an excellent book. I'd heard of it before, but I'd never actually read it. And someone who had been listening to my podcast said, wow, you should really read this book. You're saying a lot of the things that they said. And I've had a long history of learning from people about the subtle power of spiritual abuse and so some of it is cutting edge meaning that we're just now finding out and doing studies and seeing the results of spiritual abuse that has been rampant within the church but this book was kind of something that was written early on where these two men tried to put words to something that they were experiencing or hearing from people that came to them for help. And though spiritual abuse has been a topic that has been discussed more recently, spiritual abuse has been around for a very long time. And so it's excellent. It's a great book. I would highly recommend it. Again, the name of it is The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. And what's interesting is I've had an overwhelming response from my podcast on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. And it's very interesting that there are people who are very angry at me for even considering to do a podcast on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, which is kind of ironic in a way because a lot of the folks who are very angry at me are telling me to mind my own business, to keep my mouth shut, to stop talking about this because I don't know the truth. And yet they're doing the exact same thing that I am, but are somehow above reproof or reproach. And oftentimes when I talk with them and I look at the system they're in, that this is because they are in an extremely abusive situation where speaking out, where questioning is disobedience. And disobedience not against the person who is saying it's disobedience, but against God. And one thing I appreciate about David Johnson and Jeff Van Vonderen. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. But one thing that I really appreciate that that they do that I wish I would have done better is that they are very grace-filled and graceful towards people who are the abusers. And one thing they say is that it's easy to be an abuser in that system. And some people are good people who are just raised in that system and repeat it, right? They learn it and they replicate it. And they honestly believe they're trying to do the right thing out of a spirit of trying to be good and helpful. And that's how subtle this trap is. So if you haven't read the book, read it. It's excellent. And so one of the things that led me into doing this new series on the family was the fact that a lot of abuse comes about when people do not have the tools, the knowledge or understanding about the family. And so when things are happening that they can't quite put words to, it feels like something's wrong but they can't put words to it, it's easy then to negate and stuff and suppress that feeling, right? Because they're being told that feelings are bad, that they're wrong, that the heart is deceptive and wicked. So last week we began talking about developing a theology for the family, and we had talked about one of the ways to do this is that we are like miners trying to seek out gold, and we're digging into the mines of scripture and throwing out everything else except for what we're looking for, that golden nugget. But what we're really doing is that we're digging for truths that already conform to our preconceived ideas. And those things then are just proof texts. And we also talked about how passages that people end up mining really only discuss early Christianity's concern for order and certain relationships. And we talked about how the writers of the book that we're using kind of as our foundation said that they take a broad approach using theology. And they take into account principles from psychology, sociology. And then we left off was saying that they base their theology on what they call Trinitarian relationality. And it was kind of like a spoiler because I left it at that. Trinitarian relationality is kind of a complex idea. But basically, it's a belief that all humans are created by a relational triune God to be in meaningful and edifying relationships. The antithesis of that would be that the world and sin or sinful behavior moves us to shallow, meaningless relationships that are often tearing down or competing with each other. So the authors of this book build on that truth by saying the starting point in developing a theology of the family, relationships, is this idea of the Trinity. They believe that relationships between family members reflect relationality within the Holy Trinity. They start by kind of describing that we are created in the Imago Dei, or the image of God. And this means we have two things. We have unity and we have uniqueness that are simultaneous. Oftentimes when you're studying theology and you talk about the Imago Dei, you talk about things like we're created with a mind. We can think. We're created with volition or will. We can interact in our environment to give out our will. We have emotions. We can connect with our feelings. We can feel things. We can sense things. This takes a different approach, where instead of those things, though those things are included, they also look at the fact that we have unity and uniqueness, just like there is within the Trinity. The task of image-bearing, they state, entails a threefold commission from the Creator. First, to Adam and Eve, and then to all people, are to govern or be responsible stewards of creation. Second, they're supposed to engage in developing and liberating creation. And third, image-bearers redeem certain aspects of creation that have been marred due to human fallenness and sin. Now to talk a little bit more about what they mean by that is they amalorate the effects of sin. Think of it like this. When teachers who support at-risk students to achieve academically, when people care for widows and orphans, when we help the poor, we are counteracting human fallenness and the marred earth in which we live. I always say that Christians should be more liberal than liberals, <laughs> because liberals are a buzzword in evangelical Christianity for basically anybody who believes basically different <laughs> Christians believe. Now, that's a bit of a joke, but in the end, I want to kind of avoid that, but... I always feel like people who want to help the poor, who want to give, want to help the widow, want to help the disenfranchised, that want to fight against racism, often get almost kind of a bad view in the church as if they're doing something wrong, when really all they're doing is they're fighting against the effects of the sinful world in which we live. And we should always, as believers, want to be liberal in our giving. Giving of our time, of our talents, of our monies to help those in need. And not just to the church. And I'm not saying don't give to your church. Because the church does a lot of good work. But what I'm saying is, in addition to, right, giving liberally, generously... They go on to say distinction and unity coexist in the Godhead, and they exist amongst family members. And we're going to get more into what that means later on when we talk about emotional fusion and emotional cutoff within families. Individuality versus cohesiveness within the family. They hold that there's this divine dance That occurs within the Godhead. That there's this fellowship of three co equal persons perfectly embraced in love and harmony, and how this is the ultimate, intimate, vulnerable union. And that's kind of the model in which we're going to extrapolate a lot of other information to develop our theology. The Trinitarian model reflects the nature of covenantal relationality. Distinction and unity are going to be the key words that you will hear often in this development of theology. And something else that we will talk about a lot when we talk about this is that that is perfection. We're striving towards perfection in a way. Alfred Adler, who we've talked about on a previous podcast episode in his individual psychology, discusses this model of perfection that humanity is striving for. This perfect love, this perfect relationality that should be a lofty goal that people should strive towards. We should be striving towards the betterment of people. And on the flip side of that, we are not perfect. We are imperfect, and therefore we have to take that into account and provide ourselves with grace. The authors give this extreme concept that everything we do in family life, whether it's initially forming the marital relationship, nurturing during child-rearing years, building new family structures, or dealing with end-of-life involves the fundamental issues of forming unity while embracing distinctiveness. And this is something that's extremely important. Oftentimes in family therapy, we will talk at length about issues of unity and distinctiveness, though we won't necessarily use those terms. Because there have been myriads and myriads of studies That show that families that have an imbalance, whether in distinction or unity, will have issues. And that's something that speaks volumes to what these authors are talking about when they discuss this understanding of Trinitarian relationality. The authors are going to take this a step further, and they're going to say they're going to use a biblical analogy in terms of how members of the Godhead act within unity and distinctiveness. And they're going to give some examples of how they do that through covenant, grace, empowerment, and intimacy. So first they talk about God in relationship, and they're going to kind of use the Old and New Testament and its familial language to describe the creator and his created ones they kind of see god as a parent in relating to the children of israel and christ as the groom in relation to the church as its bride the holy spirit who indwells and empowers us to be brothers and sisters in christ the book goes on to discuss a quote from ray anderson in 1982 that uses the concept of co-humanity to build a theological anthropology. So humanity is determined then as existence and covenant relation with God. They talk about differentiation achieves the godly purpose of interdependence and cooperative interaction between persons. Unity and uniqueness are the primary vehicles for embodying the image of God. Family, and I love this quote, is where you are loved unconditionally and where you can count on that love when you least deserve it. And those are powerful words because oftentimes it's the reverse, where family is where you are loved conditionally and where you cannot count on that love when you need it. And we've all experienced that at some point in time. And that comes back to that fallenness, that imperfection. As we continue to talk through this theology, oftentimes we're going to talk about how we strive for this lofty goal, and oftentimes we fall short. So our best efforts, for example, of creating grace in our relationship often look like law. Our best attempts at empowerment often look like control. And our best attempts at intimacy often look like disconnection. And so as we move forward, those are some of the big concepts we're going to tackle as we tackle the issue of theology within the family. So as we move forward on next week's episode, we're going to dive into covenant, grace, empowerment and intimacy and how we see that in the trinity and how we see it in our families as well as our attempts to improve those things within our family what does that look like how do we move forward when we struggle with intimacy how do we move forward when we struggle with grace when we focus on the law we focus on the rules within the family we get very rigid how do we address that how do we move from a relationship where we try to control either through force or through manipulation those in our family instead of empowering them how do we address that what do we do with that so i hope you're enjoying this podcast as we move forward in describing a theology of the family and i hope that if you haven't listened to my episodes on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse i hope that you do but let me put this but let me put this disclaimer on it i've heard a lot of feedback on this That I'm very passionate in those episodes. It's very different than kind of my normal, more education sounding podcast episodes. And there's a reason for that. And I try to own that throughout the series is that this is something that personally affected my life to where even when I try to talk about it in a neutral way. Those emotions are triggered up and oftentimes come out, even if I'm not necessarily paying attention to it. And so I also want to say that every one of those podcasts were listened to by other listeners before they ever went live to kind of help me, guide me, direct me in areas where that woundedness was coming out in an extreme way and I was unaware of it. And yet at the same time, I was trying to be an advocate and be somebody who was participating in activism for a family that was tremendously hurt by spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. A family that needs support, and unfortunately, as time goes by, what little support they did has slowly, slowly dwindling. So again, if you haven't listened to those, please do, and then continue with these episodes on the family. Again, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated and maybe you are, but you're not alone.